Hello, welcome to the Do Lectures podcast with me, Gav Thompson. Today sees the start of season three, dot, dot, dot. Dot, dot, dot is an ellipsis, often used in English to indicate an intentional omission of a word or a sentence or a whole section from a text without altering its original meaning. It can be used to indicate silence. It can be used to indicate there's more to come. It can be used to naturally break a story, knowing that there's more around the corner. So with this season, we will be going back to previous speakers of the Do Lectures and asking what their dot, dot, dot is, what's changed, what's moved on, what's evolved, and can they fill in the gaps of the story since they gave their Do Lecture. And first up, we have Tessa Clark, who is the founder of Olio, O-L-I-O. For those of you who haven't come across Olio, it is now the largest sharing app in the UK, and it also is the biggest food sharing app where that's where Tessa and her partner Sasha came up with the idea. So just to get you in the right headspace, I'm going to quickly give you 10 food waste facts. Fact one, a third of all food produced globally goes to waste. Two, the annual value of food wasted globally is $1 trillion and it weighs 1.3 billion tonnes. Three, all the world's nearly 1 billion hungry people could be fed on less than a quarter of the food that is wasted in the USA, the UK and Europe. Four, an area larger than China is used to grow food that is never eaten. Five, 25% of the world's fresh water supply is used to grow food that is never eaten. Six, if food waste were a country, it would be the third biggest emitter of greenhouse gases in the globe after China and the USA. Seven, reducing food waste is the number one solution to fighting the climate crisis. Eight, in most developed countries, over half of all food waste takes place in the home Nine, in the home, food waste is worth £730 per year in the UK per household and $2,300 in the USA, which collectively adds up to £15 billion a year wasted. And finally, with 2.3 billion people joining the planet by 2050, this will require a 60 to 70% increase in global food production. Wow, hopefully that's got your attention. Hopefully you will agree that is a problem worth solving. So please sit back, put your feet up, grab a coffee and have a listen to Tessa Clark talking about her dot, dot, dot. Thank you very much. So Tessa Clark from Olio, welcome to the Do Lectures podcast. Thank you. It's great to be here. Shame we're not in a field in Wales, but... <laughs> Shame we're not in a field in Wales. Do. We're all kind of missing the field in Wales. So this is the start of season three. Season three, we're calling Dot, Dot, Dot. And Dot, Dot, Dot is where we go back to speakers who have done amazing Do Lectures over the years and catch up with them and find out what's the Dot, Dot, Dot in their story. What's happened since the Do Lectures? What's happened in additions? Anything changed? Course... Your talk was in 2019, so it's relatively recent. And you're here to talk about Olio. I will do it no justice, apart from just going to flag that this is an amazing idea and I want you to 
first of all, just explain what it is, and then we'll go back a bit and get to how you got to it. Tessa, tell us about Olio. Sure thing. So Olio is an app that exists to tackle the problem of waste in our homes. And it does that by connecting our users with their neighbours so that you can give away rather than throw away your spare food and other household items. And how it works is really simple. It takes about 10 seconds to add something to the app. You just snap a photo and upload it. Neighbours living nearby get an alert, letting them know that something new has been added near them. They can then browse the listings, request what they want and pop around and pick it up. So it is such a fab idea and unlike a lot of fab ideas, it actually works and it works really well and really simply. And if people are only going to listen to us for a few minutes today, just go and download Olio. It works well, O-L-I-O. And what's amazing is the speed, which you put on some Brussels sprouts or you put on some yogurt that I did recently or you put on a I put on a lot of stuff on there but live within 10-15 minutes yeah it's gone you're which... absolutely right because a lot of people when they first hear me describe what Olio is I think they often have that sort of nagging doubt in their mind which is well will anyone really want my inserts you know head of broccoli or three out of date tins of soup or your yogurts you've just mentioned the reality is there is no shortage of people who want to pop out the house go across the road and pick up some free food so half of all the food added to the app is requested in less than 21 minutes amazing and half of all the non-food items are requested within four hours so our number one challenge is encouraging people to give it a go to list something for the first time once they do it they will realise exactly as you're saying, oh my gosh, it works, it's amazing, it's fun, it's easy, and they carry on doing it. Tell us where it all started. What was the original inspiration and paint the picture for us? Yeah, so I think Olio very, very first started really on my parents' farm. So I had the first 20 odd years of my life, either well spent or misspent, depending upon how you look at it, working incredibly hard on my parents' farm up in the northeast of the UK. And as a result of that upbringing, I realized just how much hard work, manual labor goes into producing the food that we all eat every day. And as a result of that, I grew up with a pathological hatred for food waste and used to go to crazy lengths to avoid it. I then didn't think anything in particular about that at all and went off to pursue what could be described as a fairly classic corporate career. And six years ago, though, that all changed through what now seems like a seemingly inconsequential moment in my life. I was living in Switzerland, moving back to the UK. And on moving day, the removal men said to me I had to throw away all of our uneaten food. Clearly, I was not prepared to do that. So much the irritation of the removal men, I bundled up my newborn baby and toddler and set out into the streets, clutching this food, hoping to find someone to give it to. And to cut a long story short, failed miserably, wasn't prepared to be defeated. And so I went back to my apartment. When the removal men weren't looking, I smuggled the non-perishable food into the bottom of my packing boxes. And that was the moment when I just thought, this is crazy, the lengths I've gone to, (laughs) to avoid throwing away food. Why isn't there an app for this? An app where I can just snap a photo and my neighbours can request it and pop around and pick it up. And now there is. I think from memory, there was someone you had in mind for the food who wasn't there that day. Is that correct? Yeah, there was. There was a lady outside the supermarket who would normally have taken it and didn't. And I have to say, maybe her loss is just the world game, right? (laughs) I mean, it's such an amazing story. It really is. And even as I've sort of thought back through that experience, I had, you know, some pots of yogurts, sweet potato, a big sort of shrink wrap cabbage. And I now realise, well, she probably didn't necessarily have access to anything to cook the sweet potatoes with. She might not have even liked or wanted any of that food. 
really, yeah. you know, I was actually just kind of hoping to displace my problem onto someone else at the time thinking that I was doing something good. But now I've realized that actually, you know, that wasn't a solution at all. So yeah, by a kind of stroke of fate, she happened not to be there that day and Olio now exists. Amazing. So you had this unbelievable kind of brainwave, but again, you know, lots of us have brainwaves and then maybe kind of tell people about it over a drink one day or tell their partners at home. It's the journey from having an idea to turning that idea into something that's functional, into a test and a trial and an MVP and a beta, and then building it and launching it and getting financial backing for it and getting however you've got 50 something million. Did I get that number right? Uh, Four million in 59 countries, four million people in 59 countries. That's the one, countries. Yeah. yeah. Give us that story and just particularly the early bit of how do you go from, okay, I wish there was an app for that, to getting it up and running. Well, I think the important thing to stress is that retrospectively, it looks like a brilliant idea. But at the time, it didn't feel like that at all. So I shared with a few people this idea of this app where I could share my food with my neighbours. And the majority of people looked at me like I was crazy. And you know, I was on maternity leave at the time. And I think they thought that maybe baby brain had gotten the better of me and I really should get back to work pretty quickly. So there definitely was a degree of scepticism from many of the people I initially told about Olio. But one of the people that I shared this idea with it was my now co-founder, Sasha. She got really excited about it as well. And the first thing we did actually was we did about just kind of a one hour mini MBA around the idea. And at the end of that hour, we were just both hook, line and sinker. We were signed up. We were going to make this happen. But we then forced ourselves to go through a fairly methodical but fast process, taking us from that idea to getting launched. And we did that sort of from sort of starting working together to getting launched in five months, exactly to the day. So it was really quick. There were a couple of key stages. So the first stage was desk research, just to find out I'd had this experience, but was this symptomatic of a larger problem or not? And what we discovered uh, very briefly kind of blew our minds. Uh, So globally, a third of all the food we produce each year gets thrown away, which is worth over a trillion US dollars. So we were pretty stunned, horrified, sickened in the pits of our stomach to discover that what sounded like a dystopian nightmare was actually our reality. We couldn't believe that people weren't screaming and shouting from the rooftops about this. So that was a big tick in the box of, are we trying to solve a real problem? Yes. The next thing, though, was we realized that just because it was a big problem on paper didn't mean to say it was a problem that anyone cared about. And so what we did was we did a quick market research survey. We got almost 400 responses, distributed it all via kind of social media sites. And the key insight coming back there was that one in three people told us they were physically pained throwing away good food. And so that was another big tick in the box. This is these people are physically pained and it's a third of them. That is a mainstream problem. And then the third thing that we did was we recognized that just because it's a big problem on paper and people cared about it, didn't necessarily mean to say that people take the next step in our hypothesis, which was to share food with a stranger. And we wanted to find some way to test that without investing our life savings, building an app that in all probability no one would want. And so what we did was we did a proof of concept using WhatsApp and we invited 12 people who had done that market research survey who said they were physically pained. They all lived close to one another, but didn't know each other and didn't know us. And we said, We're going to pop you on this WhatsApp group for the next two weeks. And if anyone has any spare food, here's some neighbors that you can share it with. And we waited with bated breath for, I think it was almost 48 hours for the first item to be shared. And 
it was eventually shared into that WhatsApp group. And then there were lots of items shared over the next two weeks. And we met and debriefed at the end of the two weeks with those participants. And they said to us, you absolutely have to build this app. It only needs to be slightly better than a WhatsApp group. And they said, and how can I help? Which was really the genesis of what is now today our, our ambassador program with over 50,000 ambassadors around the world. The tricky bit when you're scaling it is balancing that kind of supply and demand of you need people to share stuff. You need there to be enough of an audience who can be asked to come and collect it or hungry enough to collect it or live nearby. How did you stimulate both the supply and the demand? I'm kind of interested from a marketing point of view. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Without a doubt, that is one of the hardest things we're trying to do earlier. We're building a two-sided marketplace, which in and of itself is really hard, but one where we have perishable supply on the supply side that has to be constantly replenished. So that makes that balancing act even harder. So how we address that was a couple of ways. So the first thing is the very first version of Olio, we restricted it to five postcodes in North London. So we can really restricted that geography, but then fairly quickly, we had people from all over London wanting to use the app. And so we made it available across London. One of our really early challenges was that our early adopters hated food waste. And so they didn't actually have any food to give away. Ah, so that was a definitely a real challenge. And obviously a food sharing app with no food is pretty useless. Yeah. And then we had also, I think, retrospectively somewhat naively hoped that local businesses like bakeries and delis and cafes would use Olio to bring incremental footfall into their store that would then sort of cross-sell and upsell and stuff like that. What we discovered was that that didn't really happen because they were just too focused on their core day-to-day operations. They didn't want to be messing about with an app. They didn't want to, have to train store staff, et cetera. But, and we knew very quickly, actually, that anything that was put on the app was almost certainly being requested and picked up. So we knew that we just really had to crank supply. So we solved that sort of conundrum of both the early adopters and the businesses not putting supply on the app by saying, well, why don't we take those early adopters who have time but no food waste and match them with the businesses that have no time and lots of food waste? And so we created our Food Waste Heroes program. This is a program that now has 25,000 volunteers who are trained on our food safety management system, and we match them up with their local business. And on their allotted time and day, a food waste hero will pop out their house across the road. They'll go to their local Tesco, for example, to their local supermarket. They will pick up all of the unsold food. They take it home. They add it to the app. Within minutes, the neighbors are requesting it. And minutes later, the neighbors are popping around and picking it up. And so that takes that food from having been considered a waste stream in the store to instead one to two hours later, fully redistributed into the homes of the local community. And we found that we're a little bit like Airbnb in that you know, with Airbnb, most people tend to go and stay somewhere first and realize how great that experience was and how easy it is. And they then go home and they sort of look at their supply, I guess, their home differently and think, why wouldn't I list my room next time I'm going away for holiday? And the same happens with Olio. People tend to pick stuff up first and they realize that was easy, that was safe, that was fun. And that then makes them think differently about their own waste in their homes. And they then go on to add their own surplus. When we last saw you at the end of your two lectures talk in 2019, you were in tears, right? You I, were quite emotional. I was. That, that was not planned, but the emotion uh, overcame me. And then earlier on in, in your talk, you're quite angry and very impassioned. Yeah. You know, for me anyway, you're kind of in the business of saving the planet, which is no mean feat from what in its early days was, you know, here's some shallots or here's some Brussels sprouts. 
let's get into the kind of slightly more, you know, you're solving this freaking big problem. It's a war. Tell the listeners more about that. Yeah, I will. So, you know, I'll be the first to acknowledge that Sasha and I have kind of been on this voyage of discovery and horror as we realise the true impact that food waste has on the planet, but also then as we dial up and look more broadly at kind of just our wasteful patterns of consumption in our homes more broadly. So if you start off with food waste, you know, some shocking statistics, a landmass larger than China is used every single year to grow food that is never eaten. That is land that has been deforested, species driven into extinction, soil that's been degraded, indigenous populations displaced. And then a quarter of humanity's fresh water supply is used to grow food that is never eaten. And then that food goes on an enormously long supply chain, very sort of resource and carbon intensive supply chain. And then a third of it gets thrown away, the vast majority of which ends up in landfill. And when food decomposes without access to oxygen, it creates methane which is 25 times more deadly than CO2. And so that's why sort of if it were to be a country, food waste would be the third largest source of greenhouse gas emissions after the USA and China. And a really powerful collaborative piece of work by several hundred of the world's leading climate change scientists called Project Drawdown released their latest research in March of last year, which sadly kind of got missed by most of the world because of COVID. But in it, they said, enough of the doom and gloom about the climate crisis. Let's stack rank the top 100 solutions to the climate crisis. And in position number one was reducing food waste. And it came above electric cars, above solar power, and above a plant-based diet. The number one most important thing humanity can do to mitigate the worst effects of the climate crisis is to stop throwing food away. So that's kind of where we are today. As we also then sort of peer into the future, there's a couple of other sort of terrifying stats that we discovered. So first of all, by 2050, we have another 2.2 billion people joining the planet. And in order to feed us all, we need to increase global food production by 50%, according to the FAO. And today we just genuinely have no clue how we're going to do that. And so we are at the cusp of pivoting from living in a world which is currently awash with food to living in a world in which there is no longer enough food for us all. And if you let that kind of really sit with you and yeah, sink I'm just, in, I'm just that one up it's right pretty now, terrifying. Yeah. And then another sort of future-facing stat, which is that according to the UN, by 2030, global demand for water is going to outstrip supply by 40%. So we just won't have enough water. And when you realize that basically a quarter of all of humanity's fresh water is being used to grow food that never gets eaten, and then we're looking down the barrel of within the next 10 years having demand for water outstrip supply by 40%, you know, it just makes no sense at all. So that's kind of the food waste problem. And that's the problem that Sasha and I kind of really set out to solve. But as we've been on this journey, once you open your eyes to the problem of waste, you suddenly see it absolutely everywhere. The other thing that I have discovered, which absolutely sort of chilled me to my bones and blew my brains, was coming across the concept of Earth Overshoot Day. That is the day in the year in which humanity has used all the resources that the Earth can replenish in a year. 
It was first measured in 1969. Back then, Earth Overshoot Day was the 31st of December. So what that means is humanity used in a year what the Earth could replenish in a year. We were living in equilibrium with the planet. Fast forward to last year, an Earth Overshoot Day was the 22nd of August. And so what that means is that every single thing, that every single one of us, seven and a half billion people consumed after the 22nd of August last year, was net, net depletive to the planet. And it does not take a rocket scientist to figure out that no matter how much denial we want to live in, that is just not sustainable. And so at the heart of that problem of Earth Overshoot Day is the fact that we are just consuming at an entirely unsustainable rate. And another little stat that I uh, heard was that a typical American home has 300,000 things in it. And I'm, I'm sure that there are many European and Asian homes that are not far behind that at all. So we're sort of consuming as if there's no tomorrow. And it's just... It sounds like there isn't going to be the way we're headed. Well, there's not, unfortunately, because all that consumption then drives the climate crisis. It drives the biodiversity crisis. It drives the resource depletion crisis. I've seen kind of two different pieces of research. One says 60%, the other says 72% of all greenhouse gas emissions are directly related to household consumption. And again, so I guess the theme that I have through all of this is this all comes back to us, to you and to me. And unfortunately, mm. the way a lot of the climate crisis, et cetera, have been positioned to us is if it's something that's all about governments and businesses. But the message that we have is that, you know, if we're responsible for, let's say, 60% of greenhouse gas emissions, surely that means that we can start to be responsible for reducing that. And, you know, it was billions of small actions that got us into the climate crisis in the first place. So surely billions of small actions can help get us out of it. And we believe that the big story that's being missed is the power of us as, quote unquote, consumers to be able to move our money and make change happen. Most of these conversations, as you know, because you have more of them than I do, but I, because of this role at the Do Lectures, I, I'm involved in quite a lot of them, can end with a despondency and a sort of shrugging of the shoulders. And as you just said, a uh, shit, well, let's hope the government sorts it out. Yeah. And similarly, you kind of go, well, at least big business have got our back. And guess what? They haven't. If you look at the history of big business, <laughs> they haven't. So, so what's great about Olio? But what's great about it is it actually does empower people to do their bit. And by sharing, whether it's food or resources and consuming less and just being more community-based and more sharing economy and more cognizant of consumption, you can actually help people do their bit, which, as you've just highlighted, can go a long way to solving the problem, which is quite empowering and positive. It is. So we're really big believers in a couple of things. So one... We all need a little bit of fear to give us that kind of fire in our bellies. But actually, what really makes consumer behavior change take place is positive emotions. And we've got to provide people with things that are fun and simple and safe and just kind of easy to do. And so Olio is really, really focused on that. And there's a feature that actually we launched in the app last year called Goals, which is a bit like Tinder for sustainable living. So you can sort of right swipe on a goal if you want to put it on your to-do list or left swipe for maybe later. When we kind of provide you with up to 130 
goals, which start off from with these kind of really simple swaps you can make, like from a plastic toothbrush to a bamboo toothbrush, for example, because every single toothbrush that's ever been made is still in existence. You know, so simple swaps all the way through from your toothbrush all the way through to kind of moving your pension, change your bank account, sort of change your energy provider. And we've done all of the hard work of figuring out what those sort of simple sustainable swaps are. So that's a really, really great tool that's sort of in, in the app because we've just heard from so many people that people are starting to realize that this is real and it's happening and it's really quite scary. But then people were saying, but I just don't know what to do. And I'm so busy and a bit overwhelmed by it. Can you just tell us what to do? <laughs> and so the goals basically gives people that kind of inspiration. It links out to further reading um, and makes it really nice and simple. And then the other thing that we've got coming up soon, it'll be launching this summer is a new feature called borrow that will connect people with their neighbors so that we can lend and borrow everyday household items. So instead of oh, us all having to go out and buy that drill or that camping stove or that fancy dress, oh, whatever it is, I love it. instead we can just borrow it from a neighbor. And I'm very, very excited about that because I think when you think of waste, very naturally you think of sort of the crap that goes in your bin, which is quite right. But equally, waste is all the world's precious resources trapped in your home, those 300,000 things that are not actually being used. Meanwhile, someone two doors down is buying the exact same thing and you're drowning in clutter. So I'm super excited by Borrow. Just give us an idea of what the next sort of few years looks like for you and Sasha and, and Olia. What's What are the next big things? Obviously, Borrow yeah. being one of them. Well, on the one hand, things are going gangbusters and we're super proud of what we've achieved with very, very little and... It has felt a lot like sort of pushing a boulder up a hill. And we've encountered so much skepticism along the way and we've had pretty limited resources. So we're really proud of what we've achieved. But on the other hand, we have achieved a fraction of what the world needs us to achieve. So we've got sort of four million people on Olio. We need a billion people on Olio. We literally need everybody giving stuff away instead of throwing stuff away and lending and borrowing rather than buying. So we've set ourselves a terrifying goal of a billion oleoers by 2030, which coincides with the United That's Nations. That's a big number. It is, yeah. <laughs> you start losing track of the <laughs> Go large country. or go home, well, Tessa. <laughs> I mean, yes, why not, you know? But sort of more seriously, that is actually what the world needs us to do if we're to stand any chance whatsoever of mitigating the worst effects of the climate crisis. So we've set ourselves that enormous goal. We're continuing to invest in improving the Olio app and the product experience and, and building out Borrow is a really, really exciting next stage. And then after that, the next major thing for us is to start internationalizing Olio properly. So at the moment, roughly a quarter of the community and a quarter of all the sharing that takes place each week is already taking place outside of the UK. We're pretty active in Mexico and Chile and Colombia and Singapore and New Zealand and Sweden, some places in the US. But that's all happened very organically through our ambassadors that I mentioned briefly earlier on. So we've got these sort of 50,000 plus people who are super passionate about our mission and we give them a toolkit really to get Olio launched in their local community. So that's all happened organically, but now we need to really invest seriously in selecting some markets where we're really going to kind of grow Olio and get Olio to the same scale that we've achieved in the UK in those markets. Where does the money come from? Where's the commercial 
bit of the enterprise? So Olio generates revenues through our Food Waste Heroes program. So we charge our clients, such as Tesco and Pret-a-Manger, who we mentioned earlier on, for the service we provide to enable them to have zero food waste stores. So at the moment, they're paying a waste contractor to take that food off to landfill or anaerobic digestion or livestock feed. And instead of paying the waste contractor, they pay us. So that's kind of one revenue stream. And then in the past couple of months, we've also launched what's called a freemium business model within the app itself. So a subset of our users can subscribe to unlock additional features within the Olio app itself. And so there are two sort of main revenue streams for now. And I'm sure we will continue to experiment with generating revenues to ensure that we're building a really kind of vibrant and sustainable and profitable business, because that's what we're going to have to do to get us to scale. This is one of those conversations where I'm sure lots of people are kind of nodding in violent agreement of both the insight, both the solution and both how we all take responsibility for it and, and we'll be willing you on. How can our listeners get involved, help you, help Olio, help the world? So there's a couple of ways, really. The first one is to download the Olio app, O-L-I-O, in the App Store or Google Play. We also have a desktop version as well to make it as accessible as possible. Get sharing. We always say to people, just give it a go. You might be thinking, will anyone really want or are there really going to be many people near me? Over 80% of things added to the platform globally get picked up and picked up really quickly. So we just say kind of go for it. And then other things that we are always looking for is obviously to partner with businesses that are generating surplus food that needs redistributing to talk to them about our Food Waste Heroes program. And then we're also always interested in partnership opportunities, i.e. a route to market for us to spread the word about Olio so that we can scale as quickly as possible. There you go, guys. Get downloading and get sharing. And look, as an early adopter, I can vouch for both how it works as a sharer, both food and non-food, how it makes you feel great, how it's helped me connect with the community and how it's just a circle of love. Tessa, thank you so much for being a guest on the Do Lectures dot, 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 and I wish you all the best of luck with Olio. Thank you so much. Lovely chatting to you today. Thank you so much for listening. I think this is a subject we could all really be engaged with and I would urge you all to download Olio, O-L-I-O, and start using it. As I said, it is an amazing thing and it works on many, many levels. So this is the first episode of season three of Dot, Dot, Dot. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe, leave us a review, tell your friends about it. We are now going to be on the normal podcast channels plus on YouTube, which is very exciting for those rampant YouTubers out there. And as I said, this season is all about going back to the best of the best of the Do Lectures and the Do Lectures speakers and finding out where are they now, what's changed, what's new to their story, and hopefully filling in some of the gaps and or telling the story for those of you that haven't actually seen the original Do Lecture. You can get hold of me, Gav, at thedolectures.co.uk. This show was produced by George McDonough. The music was by James Morton. Please tune again in a couple of weeks for the next episode. Thanks for listening. Take care. Bye. Bye.